0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans Markets. Where I'm excited because right now, Zupans has their a winter citrus favorite and their juicy, seedless, and easy to peel, very easy to peel, sumo oranges. So that's a cross between a Japanese satsuma and I'm sure everybody's familiar with that
1: and a sure. California naval orange. What I love about these is just how easy they are to peel but also just super delicious and very convenient. When you walk into your local Zupan's, they are right there at the front of the store, you can't miss them.
0: Yeah, in their beautiful produce department which displays everything like it's they are works of art, which in fact they are.
1: Yeah. Also take advantage of other great. Uh, if you're not an orange person, maybe you're an apple person. Honey crisp apples are on sale through the seventeenth of January. Uh, those are uh, grown locally. They're organic. Have you had the Honey Crisp? Crisp. Uh, they feel like they're somewhat of a newer uh, kind of apple.
0: I don't think, I don't know if they're that new, but I have had them. Um, I'm not, I don't load up on apples every time I go to the store. You know, my dad used to go with the apple a day keeps the doctor away and that worked for what, 83 years. So, um, so, but I'm not quite there with apples, although I do enjoy them and I know everything at Zupan's, you can, usually there's some samples there to try too.
1: Yeah, honey crisps are great, so pick those up at your local Zupan's. Or if maybe you're not an an apple person, maybe uh, what goes well with apples is actually cheese. Have you tried this Rogue River Blue Cheese from the Rogue Creamery? Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, Zupan's cheese selection is stellar. Yeah, and what's great about this cheese is that it's uh, produced seasonally and was named back in uh, 2019-2020 the best cheese in the world at the World Cheese Awards that took place in Italy. So uh, I I love this. And if you're not a big blue cheese fan, uh, which I wasn't for the longest while, I actually found if you put a little, uh, like a small amount of butter on the bread with the blue cheese, it kind of takes that edge off. And, oh, it's good.
0: I've always loved a little blue cheese melt. Yes, with a lot of butter melted on anything a baguette any any kind of bread that you enjoy is just a fantastic snack or
1: meal very nice so pick up all of these great things at your local zoo Pans. three locations to serve you on mcadam west burnside lake oswego and we always recommend what crisp people go to where very simple zoo pans.com All right, here it is time. Once again, it is Portland's food scene podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. I'm co-host Court Johnson. And uh, if uh, we're being honest with each other, Chris, I'm going to tell you, I'm actually still in my pajamas this morning. I haven't showered yet.
0: Well, that's interesting because I've been having conversations with my son as he's embarking on a uh, looking for another job. His contract ended and He's of the mindset that he only want to, wants a job where he can work remotely. So yeah, I just pointed out, I think that kind of. And it's your choices, your, your opportunities a little bit. And he pointed back out... No, not necessarily because it opens up opportunities all over the world for me to work for companies. So
1: You and I have had conversations about just the change. Obviously, the, the pandemic did what it did and made working remotely, um, obviously, more manageable and, and preferred by a lot of people. But you have shared stories with me about um, your early days when you became self-employed and to the degree where you would somewhat fake the idea that you were working in an office is that is, is that what you did?
0: Corey, you're calling my integrity into question, but yes, I did do well. that. so here here's the thing. I these were that was 1995, 96. People did not necessarily work out of their home, and I had an ad agency and another little business too. And so you couldn't say when the dog. I mean, you couldn't have the dog bark. So I did what I could to mitigate that. But I would just use terms like my office. I'd never say I'm home. Now, people, it's not a problem at all. Right. Um, but in those days, I would you know, not do that. And then even beyond that, I took in 2002 and 2003, which is now 20 years ago, 20 plus. I took trips around the country with my sons and went to every major league baseball park almost, save for the two in Florida and the ones in the Northeast that we had already been to. And, um, you know, these are the days, this is, well, 2002 and 2003, but I would operate from a cell phone and never indicate I was away from Connecticut at the time. That's where I lived and that's where I operated from. So I got away with it and I did very well. And I, I was, I think I was kind of on the forefront of this work from home, be independent thing because now everybody's it's standard operating procedure but in those days i was kind of breaking new ground and making it work i always felt like if i have a, at the time if i had access to a fax machine and i had fax software um and i did okay so anyway i, I did that for yeah. years and and now here we are
2: yeah
1: and what i'm learning because you you told me you've shared that with me a, a few times and you were really the first person to kind of you know, talk about back in the in the mid 90s, it being kind of a thing you didn't necessarily admit until just recently where one of my wife's clients was sharing kind of their origin story. And this is a company that started actually in the mid 90s to go, to uh, college roommates um, from Syracuse, um, which you, you have connections to. Right. Didn't you go there for a year?
0: Oh, yeah. Some uh, winter of 77, 78. Look it up. There was 20 yeah. foot walls of snow so yes yeah, so I have a connection to Syracuse it was a long
1: yeah. time ago yeah so when they launched their 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 business in the mid 90s um, one of them was sharing this story of um, turning on uh, office noise on a, on a, on a little oh that's tape recorder when he would take phone calls just so it sounded <laughs> like he was in an office
0: oh man that's that's great I, I appreciate that and I'm jealous that I didn't even know about that or think about it. You know, it's also long enough ago that maybe I didn't. I forgot, but um, that is that's just perfect. And of course, you don't need to do that now. So, nope. um, yeah, but I think companies are now starting to come back around. I, I saw Disney is now requiring employees to work at four days a week in in the offices. So who knows? I mean, listen. Here's the deal: some people are disciplined, and some people are not. So. Uh, I know, for instance, my girlfriend works from home and she doesn't take a minute off to do laundry or anything while she's actually working at her desk, whereas I would, you know, travel to uh, a fun city to not do laundry while I was you know, right. doing work hours. So, I mean, that was one way of putting that, but I'm, what I I'm meant to say is after now we're coming on 30 years of working from home. I don't, my discipline is completely shot, but I've learned how to do things. I mean, I work some weekends and I work nights. It's not all nine to five. I don't think in terms of nine to five anymore, at yeah, all.
1: It's just, it, it's a different way. It's just a different way of working.
0: Yeah. Now, do I get 40 hours a week in uh, that that's questionable, but you know, it changes, Depending on what's going on, whether I have trips or not coming up, then it's more than 40 hours. And if I don't, I, you know, I have a leisurely summer, perhaps. So, um, anyway, speaking of trips, may I? Yes, please. Okay. Well, you know, Portland Food Adventures, which is my, uh, this is my real business now. I used to have a couple, but now Portland Food Adventures, which started as an events business in Portland, highlighting the, Portland food scene, the collaborative nature of it, and, um, and which, by the way, is related to our today's guest, which we'll get to momentarily, um, which led to doing trips with chefs, even more s- organic and getting to know chefs and spend time with them. So we are on, We started in 2015 with a, a gentleman who's no longer in Portland, Jose Chessa at Atala. We did four trips with him. To Barcelona and now speaking of Spain we're doing trips with uh, Javier Canteras and JL and Andre who is like one of the I we've had him on the podcast so you can anybody can look up Andre and, and Javier as well so we do these trips to Basque country or we this will be our third coming up in April uh, April 22nd or 23rd and it's unbelievable we go to a five hundred farm that's been in a family for 500 years. We go to hotels like the uh, Hotel Grand Domine in Bilbao and the Arbasso in San Sebastio. And we stay at a castle for a few nights right near Bermeo, where Chef Javier spent time as a kid and now has a home uh, when he's outside of Portland. It's a great trip. And I mention it because um, we just had a couple of people who had to back out um of this trip coming up in less than 3 months and we got some space so if anybody's ever wanted to go to Basque country and eat like beautiful three star michelin food charcuterie everything this is this is a great trip and we have a great group and I welcome a call or an email which is pretty easy uh, i guess i'll give my phone number at 503-314-4221 Or email address, you can send it to chris at portlandfoodadventures.com, and I'll get back to you. It's something that requires discussion. There is no sign-up form online um, because we kind of want to know who's coming, and it's near and dear to us. So we don't just take anybody to click and not know what they're doing. I actually had someone call a couple of weeks ago, and they had never even heard of Erdinetta. and I questioned why they really wanted to go. (laughs) so I mean because that's what it's about so anyway we have that we have another trip that's filling up we have eight people going to our Sicily trip for the people anybody who's watching um, I'm going to say it here the White Lotus I've been trying to stay away from using those words and violate anything but if anybody's watching that TV show it is fantastic or has watched it It takes place in Terramina and we're going to be in Terramina for a couple of days also Catania, Artesia, with some day trips to Noto, which is one of my favorite places on the planet. And, uh, of course, Cafe Cecilia there with the best cannolis you're ever going to find anywhere. So that's my uh, little public service announcement for anybody who likes to travel. And the cool thing is it seems like more people are getting into travel now, um, more so than last year. So um, that's one of the things we do now. Let's go back to, um, oh, oh, by the way, you can see those at portlandfoodadventures.com. You can see both itineraries. Check them out and, uh, and give me a call if you have any interest in going. I, I have like two spots, two or four spots to both trips left. That's it. Okay. Now, to get back to um, historically. Court, this is very interesting that, you know, we, you and I were not the initial founders of this podcast, I named it. I remember that, but it was a food mm-hmm. podcast. We were trying to figure it out, and what the way it evolved it was our friend Heather Jones, who um, was a publicist in uh, Portland food world, um, had contacted me and asked me if I wanted to audition to be the host of a food podcast, and. What's very interesting about it is that I'd kind of forgotten what I went to college for. And that was it. I went to school to be a broadcaster. Um, partly. That wasn't the whole ball of wax. So I did film, too. But. but anyway, she invited me in to do a, an audition, and I had to find a guest. And I, I don't remember exactly why, other than the fact that he's a really good guy and did some great things. Joel Gunderson, who was the GM and the psalm at Restaurant Saint Jack uh, at the time, which happened to be—I <laughs> think the reason I asked him, now that I think about it, other than the reasons I just mentioned—is it was like four blocks away from this studio where we were recording the uh, where she was recording uh, the auditions. I put them headphones and the mic on and i just felt like oh my god i forgot this is what i wanted to do and it was i really enjoyed it and i told heather i want to do this and i guess there were a few other people um i think my real um leg up was all the contacts i had in the food world because as you and i both know it's not easy to get guests well sometimes it is but it's not always easy to find guests right And if you don't know anybody, man, you're doing a lot of blind calling and waiting for people to get back to you. So the fact that I knew people was very helpful. And I think I've gotten a little better at this over time. I don't know. I still don't think I'm the greatest, but, you know, I enjoy it and, and we get positive feedback from people. So that interview with Joel Gunderson... There's no record of it. (laughs) Um, It was just an audition and nobody recorded it. And you weren't involved at the time, so you don't have access to it. And what happened was we were recording with this company that was doing podcasts in 2013, which is kind of a, that was groundbreaking at the time. And looking at the costs to produce right at the fork, which I later named, wasn't named yet, but I said to I said to Heather, I think I can do this. I think we can do this, and, and at least we have no revenue yet, but, I, but have it not cost us as much as this. And it was pretty. It was very expensive, and we were going to have to share any advertising revenue with that company, which I don't, rem- I don't remember the name of it. And so I knew you from um, a buddy of ours, a mutual buddy who had had me on his radio show at Kink, Well, it wasn't at Kink, but it was in the Alpha Studios. And I met you, and we got along, and I liked you, and I said, Heather, let me call this guy, Court, And that's how this kind of worked out. So you were a paid producer for the first two years of podcast, right? I think so.
1: That's correct, yep. Mm -hmm.
0: And then Heather and I decided we kind of had a few little disagreements on the direction of the podcast. And we weren't really making any revenue yet. I felt like I had ideas on how to make some revenue and and, um, more than we were making. I mean, we had little advertisers here and there. So Heather and I went our separate ways and I called you and said, hey, Court, you want to be my partner on this as opposed to my paying you, you'll share in revenue in this in the future. Well, thanks to um, Ringside and Zupans, this podcast goes on. Yeah so 10th year 10th year and and we've eaten yep. a lot of good food because we get the opportunity to go in because they want us to talk about their products on the radio and we do and that with all the experience we have at Zoopans and ringside so is that the long of it do you have anything you can add to that that i have not uh, gone into that might be of interest i mean some that may or may not be interesting i don't know
1: no, the, 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 it's interesting to me uh, for a couple of reasons is is uh, this came up in a conversation between you and I a couple of months ago. You started talking about the, the original, uh, the first guest, and I was like, what are you talking about? And then we both realized that because I hadn't been brought in at that point, I had no idea who you were talking about in this, this pre-court right at the fork that was happening. Um,
0: but, well, uh, it was yeah, only yeah, one episode. That was it.
1: It was only one episode, right? Yeah.
0: So yeah, yeah no, but, uh, it, it's it's pretty cool, and just a, a little bit. Of, it, it might be of interest to people why this podcast, this still lives on, was a turning point. Was that um, one of the little differences in philosophy that I had versus Heather, and I love Heather dearly. We're still friends. Was I felt we needed to be. Um, do, our interview should be with the people who were making the headlines in Eater and The Oregonian. Her, She, and i it's a noble thing, she wanted to highlight the unsung heroes of the Portland food world. Some of the sous chefs or some of the people who weren't being written about. And right. I, I felt like, well, if we want to get this thing off the ground, we need to interview the Gregory Gordays of the world. And so... If you go back and look, we, you and I first started doing this ourselves in 2016. As soon as it was ours, I called Gregory Gorday and <laughs> said, would you like to be on the podcast? And then I called some other fairly well-known folks. Uh, and more, our numbers just shot up because people knew who, who, who they were tuning into here rather than a name they'd never heard of before. So that does not mean we haven't featured some people who are in the background along the way. Right. But I just felt like we need to, if we want to get on the map here, we got to use some names that people are interested in hearing about, that they know about. So that's where that went. And so um, it was a pretty good formula. Numbers shot up so that it made it viable for advertisers to support the podcast. It wasn't really viable before then because we could only tell them we had a couple hundred listeners. Now we can tell them we have thousands. So we can tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, let's get to this episode, because I have a feeling Joel and his partner in business, Aaron Barnett, might be listening, and I don't want them to be sitting there like everybody else saying, when are they going to get to
1: this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're just explaining how the sausage is made. That's that's all.
0: That's right. And we have never really had that conversation, and here we are starting year 10. So I thought, oh, let's give listeners, anybody who's a loyal listener, a little background to the podcast so uh, because certainly we've had way more people tune in in the later years than we had from day one hi wendy <laughs> you know we know our friend wendy's been doing everything since day one so and she's yeah. a guest wendy Bumgardner. Um and she's also coming on our trips so if you want to hang out with wendy she's someone but at any rate joel gunderson who just opened, a recently opened, Heavenly Creatures with Aaron Barnett, and he will go through how that evolved, um, is our guest today, and he is, I really, you know, I don't remember anything from that interview 10 years ago, honestly, but this interview that we conducted yesterday, um, I really genuinely found him to be a uh, super likable guy, in an hour-long interview, I've certainly chatted with him along the way um, when he was, uh, when we were doing events with St. Jack, and uh, then I, I met him at Cooper's Hall along the way, which is his other venture that he started after he bridged his time from St. Jack into Cooper's Hall and then started doing some wine consulting with all of the chef's table. Well, I can't say all. Many of the chef's table restaurants, including Grasa, and um, Hamlet at the time, and there are others. You'll hear it in the podcast. Um, so he's got quite um, extensive experience in both restaurant ho- and hospitality and wine, which, of course, anybody who knows me knows I'm not, not, not going to get into a conversation about specifics of soil and that sort of thing with anybody. But, um, but he talks about what makes heavenly creatures a little different and why it's been... Uh, filled to capacity in a 22-seat wine bar slash restaurant. Um, he also, what I thought was great was uh, we talk about how he and Aaron Barnett met and decided to open Restaurant St. Jack, which is now a, you know, it's been, I think it opened in 2010, and it's been around in the Portland market as one of the, sure, the go-to's if you're looking for great dining in Portland, you if you just can't go wrong by mentioning St. Jack to anybody who's looking for if they're in town for one day and they want to go for a great meal, uh, that would be absolutely on the short list uh, if it's not at the top. So, um, but that's what Joel started with Aaron. Aaron's still there. Joel isn't still at St. Jack, but he and Aaron Barnett have we have hooked up again to open their second place, which we're going to hear about today. Is that long enough court? Are we ready to go?
1: I think, I think we're ready. I think we've covered it all. Well, you and know, we time. haven't,
0: we haven't. I got one other thing. Oh, okay. Tommy habits, whom we all know. And love oh yes. We've had him on the podcast. I'm sorry. I didn't yes. mention this earlier. And by the way, you can move this to earlier if you want, but either way, uh, Tommy habits who owns bunk sandwiches and pizza jerk, um, has had a, I believe it's a brain
1: brain aneurysm. I believe it's an
0: aneurysm. I was about to call it that, but I wasn't hundred percent sure. I,
1: so I think that's what it was. Yeah. He
0: landed in the hospital with, um, and they've been draining it and he's got severe headaches beyond migraines still going on. His ex-wife had recently had knee surgery, and they have um, they have offspring to um, support and take care of. So there is a GoFundMe.
1: There's a GoFundMe that we'll put into the show notes, and people will be able to find it directly from the show notes or on our website right at thefork.com.
0: Right, because anybody who knows Tommy knows he is one of the really well-loved uh, and talented chefs. He happens to come from Connecticut also. Um, in... Portland, and uh, they could u- use a little help right now. And I think they're almost up to the goal on the GoFundMe, so anybody listening can help put them over the top. So uh, that's Tommy Habits. And you can go back and listen. If you do a little search in our C- search bar anywhere, right at the fork, Tommy Habits, H-A-B-E-T-Z, uh, you'll hear that interview too. And it was one of the sad, just Horrible to hear that news going into the... Was it right before Christmas? I don't remember. Yes, it was.
1: I believe so, yeah.
0: Yeah, It sucks. So we wish him well and um, hope that he's back with us soon. But Joel Gunderson is with us right now, and you can go in and visit him and uh, drink some wine with him, too, at Heavenly Creatures. Here he is on Right at the Fork.
2: Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures.
0: How are you?
3: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's it's uh it's busy down here at, at Heavenly Creatures. That's so. good.
0: I hear Thankfully. nothing but good yeah. things about it. I'm not as busy out here in Manzanita, so otherwise I might be in with you right now. But
3: No, I I mean it's lovely yeah. out there.
0: Well, sort of. It's been really windy lately, so um but at any rate, listen, I am just tickled that we're actually doing this together after you were kind enough to be my audition guinea pig i guess we can call it way back when yeah so
3: how long ago was that so
0: that was uh, december or like uh probably november of 2013 so it's almost 10 years ago so uh you haven't aged a bit i've aged 10 years since then
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Time is real. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah. Plus, there's
0: this two-year, two- to three-year warp in there, too. So, um, right,
3: yeah.
0: so no. I thank you for coming back. We've discussed it along the way over the past 10 years, and somehow it never happened. But now I thought it was a good opportunity that you have your new venture going on, another new venture since we first spoke. When we first spoke, you were at St. Jack, general manager at St. Jack.
3: Okay. Right? Yeah. So
0: that
3: yeah, that was uh that so yeah, that was that would be that, in, was yeah. it, bro. that was it though. That was the so, deal
0: for you at that point in time. I don't think Cooper's Hall was in the was on the scope yet.
3: Yeah, it might have been on the scope, but it wasn't something I could talk about, I think, oh, at that okay. time. So yeah, yeah. So we uh definitely a lot of transition since then and um, I think I've been part of at least 12 restaurant openings. Twelve? Tell us what you,
0: Let's go down that list. What, what is the list of 12 <laughs> restaurant openings?
3: Well, I, let me think about it. Um, well, I was part of Hamlet's opening. All right. Little short-lived thing there. Um, <clears throat> Pearl Tavern. All of the Grasa locations.
0: And how many of those are uh, there now?
3: We have five. So, yeah, Nick Sherman and Rich Encarelli, and they have five. And so I'm the wine director for all of those locations. Uh, And so just, you know, going from the learning curve of managing a wine program for one program to five, creating more like stability than ingenuity, I think is you know, or finding the happy balance between those things has been that, uh, I helped open a place, um, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, got connected through Kurt Huffman with Chef Stable to do that, uh, went and did staff training in the middle of a seven year storm up there. That was, oh, that must be some
0: storm if it's a seven year storm there.
3: They they just said it was, like, one of the worst storms they've had in seven years. But, yeah, there's Glorietta uh, up there. And, and
0: then you got Cooper's obviously Hall. Obviously,
3: Cooper's Hall. Yeah, that's the big one. And we opened Cooper's Hall Northeast, which is an event space up here. But I'm I'm actually in Heavenly Creatures, which is a small little section up in Cooper's Hall Northeast. Right. Where we
0: used to be able to get uh, some pretty good churros a long time, not too long That's ago. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not doing those. But I have to say, your backdrop is fantastic. You may get the award for best backdrop.
3: <laughs> it seemed to make sense, you know, like, let's go ahead and put the wine right no. behind me. But yeah.
0: It's good. And the very
3: expensive And backdrop. you and I missed
0: <laughs> the period. So since the pandemic started, we've been recording the podcast like this. But we used to have a nice studio and a green room and all the, right. the, the good stuff. Um, so I'm sorry we missed that, but I'm just glad we're here now to talk about it. So it has not been a normal 10 years, right? If someone had told you what was going to transpire back then in terms of, you know, you've talked about 12 openings, and that's fantastic. But one of the... Um, one of the downsides to having a few places that you're involved with is when a pandemic comes up and we hope that we're not going to be dealing with that again, at least in your career, in your work lifetime. Um, That's a little challenging. I remember seeing some of your posts when it was happening and uh, boy, that's how are you doing now? Are you coming out of it now? Are you feeling a little more optimistic? At least like, let's, let's do apples to apples because cooper's hall was up and operating and thriving when that happened
3: absolutely
0: heavenly creatures is new we
3: had our right yeah i mean well with you know when we went into the pandemic in 2020 cooper's hall had just had or was about to have their our best q1 ever it was it was it was huge you know we just had our company party like two weeks before, you know, our holiday party as it was late because we are helping everybody else with their holiday parties. And so February is generally when we do our our holiday party. Um, I was supposed to get on to a plane to Hawaii and with my family to take a vacation. And it was on that day that I uh, I let go of my entire team and fired myself. Um, So that was, that was lovely. Let me see, Hawaii (laughs) with
0: your family or firing yourself and a lot of other people that you love too? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was intense. And, um, you know, I think right now things feel good. Um, They, but I, I think like everybody else, we don't, I think having that rug pulled out from under you there is there's just a general lack of confidence in in the state of affairs. like anything it's just like Mm -hmm. and i think you know for us we cooper's hall is a private event space a winery uh that is very locked into the rest of the food industry because mainly what we do is keg wine so we are not a retail focused uh winery. We are a restaurant-focused winery. With large
0: space to uh, fill. It's not, you know, yeah. that has a...
3: Yeah, so I mean so so I think you know, one of the things our job as people who run spaces, or at least for me with Cooper's Hall, is to, to really try to manifest or show uh, confidence in what we're doing. Uh, you know, particularly if you're trying to book weddings and 2023 and and saying, yes, we will be here. (laughs) You know, we spent, we spent the entire pandemic um, holding the hands of, uh, you know, terrified couples that wanted to get married, but couldn't and kept postponing their event and asking like, Hey, are, are you even going to be here? Like, like, is this going to, is this gonna be a thing? Are we ever gonna have our wedding? And um, and then now it's just you know, to ask somebody to invest in a in event six months from now, people are a little gun shy. They're like, Are well what you know, what are the conditions? Um, we're seeing a lot more um legalese around around you know even that even that that
0: process it's not like the old innocent days it requires a whole different mindset however i view it i'm guessing it's kind of like people who've been through a divorce have trust issues moving forward because they at obviously at one point just like you said you were enjoying uh your best quarter ever At some point, you're enjoying it enough to say, let's get married. And then you get married, and, you know, let's assume that for most people, there's some good periods in there. And then the next thing you know, that doesn't exist any longer. So it's very hard to trust. And yeah, how can you know this isn't going to happen again? It's not gone, right? So yeah, that, right, that, uh, begs that, that leads to a lot of unsurety. So, um, and in your case, yeah, yeah think- you have to book far in advance. We're having that with travel, so we do trips to Europe. Right. We have to deal with the same issue. But people want to travel now, just like they want to get married. They want to do events, uh, and yeah. they feel a little more comfortable with it than they did a year ago.
3: Yeah, I mean, people want to, you know, people want to live again. You know, I think, I think you can only put life on hold for a certain period of time, and then people start breaking out and saying like, Hey, uh," you know, um, you know, I think for us in the industry, um, there was never a, we never had the luxury of hunkering down. So like, we've been out and about the whole time, whether we were wearing masks or not wearing masks or whatever, we, we never left the front lines of, of interface. Um, and you know i I remember that first um summer you know we we were getting ppp funding with these intense restrictions of and time restrictions suspended and so and then local laws were jumping on and off of different things you know we were i i think i talked to noma county health at least twice a week and they probably uh, weren't giving you sure
0: good them. answers, much like when people are asking you, can we do uh, this during that period of time? Yeah, you didn't yeah, know. Yeah.
3: I didn't know, but I, you know, I, 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 I did my best to be as engaged as possible with our local health officials uh, and to do everything that I could do within the parameters of what the health officials were telling me I could do. And even at that, I definitely received a lot of uh, Pushback uh, from people, you know, saying, hey, it's letting me know that I was being irresponsible or things like that. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, and uh, and that, you know, it's, it's more like it, it was. It was tricky. It was hard. You know, as an operator, it was. And I'm sure you've heard this from probably every operator that you've interviewed. That um, you, you didn't realize how ready everybody was willing to hate you. Uh, until you try to run a restaurant through the pandemic. Right,
0: and on top of that, you have that nice little layer of crime and a uh, lot of stuff going on in the industry um, that just wasn't necessarily related to the pandemic either. It was like, hey, if this isn't enough, here's another couple of little things for you to deal with.
3: Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're in a... You know, I guess, you know, is the pandemic over? It's not, because... In Portland, definitely, we're, we're seeing the, the scars of uh, what it means to put businesses downtown on hold or businesses in the Central East Side on hold, what it means to leave a portion of your city like virtually uh, vacant as far as foot traffic is concerned and open to other elements. And so I think... Um, you know, I think that's a very that's a very real um, thing as we as Portland operators have to confront. I, you know, I definitely you know I mentioned that I was interfacing with Multnomah County Health a lot during the pandemic. I'm definitely interfacing with City of Portland a lot more now than I ever have before. I'm definitely interfacing with uh, Portland Police a lot more than I ever have before. Um, and, you know, in one ways, it's training me to be a more engaged citizen. <laughs> Did you want <laughs> you know, to be a more engaged a little, citizen
0: before this? Or is it just something you've come to live with?
3: Uh, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I, I had friends during the pandemic that were just enraged about the restrictions. And, Joel, you should be angry and all this stuff. And, and you know, what I said, I was like, I don't I don't have the luxury to be angry I don't have the luxury to like ask that decision as to whether or not I would like to be more engaged or not. Like I have a business to run. I have people who depend on me as an operator, uh, to get their back and to, uh, do do the best I can for advocating for our business in the area of town that we're in. And, uh, and you know, I, you know, getting back to your original question, you know, do I have hope or is there, is there hope? Is there a hopefulness? Um, I don't know if it's, if hope is the right word, I think resilience and, um, um, uh, sort of like a strategic optimism Have as in you don't, you can't, you can't run a business on pessimism. Uh, you got to run it on. Algorithms.
0: Are you, um, did you f- have anything in your past that enabled you to um, think that you would have this resilience or is it something that you found you had that surprised you? I would imagine a lot of people hadn't been through this. You certainly hadn't been through this specific drill before, but, uh, right. but in terms of you know the, the wherewithal to keep going. Uh, I would imagine there were sometimes you just didn't have you didn't have the blueprint on what it was going to take to keep going. You had to keep trying new things. So, is there anything in your past right. in your you know childhood any any examples that you had <laughs> um, that you think might have helped you to get through it, or is this just was this just Joel? I mean, and I don't mean just Joel. Was this Joel and
3: right? Yeah, I, I you know I'm, I'm gonna kind of do a shout out to everybody in our industry I, I think that restaurant people just by the nature of what we do are built resilient um, you know restaurants already are a insanely high risk uh underpaid uh overworked <laughs> uh sort of industry like you know um so opening restaurant saint jack in 2010 uh was nail-biting and scared the hell out of me constantly and so like do i have experience of being scared constantly that i'm not going to be able to achieve something while doing something i don't know exactly what i'm doing yeah I opened a restaurant in 2010 with my best friend. That was <laughs> that, that, that showed me how much I did And you know, kept going
0: too. You know? So, And you kept, you, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So you keep going. And so I think, I think there's that. I mean, I, I grew up in the Philippines. I grew up, my parents are missionaries and uh, my parents worked with um, the poorest of the poor right outside of Metro Manila. My mom is a midwife and my dad ran an orphanage there and, there were babies being born in my house every day of the week. Um, so, uh, I think one of the things I learned from my parents was that you you don't the support the money doesn't have to be there, but we're still going to open our doors and take care of the people in front of us. Well, I. I think
0: that you couldn't have found a better example to answer that question. Um, That's fantastic. And I find it interesting that that's how and where you grew up. And I don't think the natural progression from that is I'll open a French restaurant in Portland, Oregon. Um, I want to hear I want to hear how you went from there to there. Um, Listen, let's do that when we come back. We have to take a, a little break now to hear from our friends at
1: ringside steakhouse and then we'll come back and talk about that all right chris we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat ringside steakhouse
0: right for over it says on their website over 78 years i'm thinking we're getting close to 80 it might be over 79 years for ringside steakhouse there are very few restaurants i can only think of a couple in Portland that can claim that banner, having been here through thick and thin for many years, ringside is, of course, a, um, a hallmark when it comes for occasions, business meetings, or even uh, if
1: you're just looking for great service and a great night out, it's ringside. And, of course, you can't go wrong on Monday nights with their three-course prime rib dinner. Um, that includes, obviously, uh, the best prime rib in town. And also, of course, you get uh, you know other things that go along with it, which includes that creme brulee for dessert. Right.
0: And I think their Yorkshire pudding, which is fantastic as well. Oh, yeah. I'm going to suggest that if anybody hasn't had enjoyed Wagyu steak, they check out Ringside and look at their offerings there. Um, Yes, it's a premium experience, but it's well worth it if you're a steak lover and want to try something out of the ordinary. Ringside does uh, a fantastic job sourcing
1: their Wagyu beef from Japan. And speaking of out, Chris, we should point out that uh, maybe one of the great things that might have come from the pandemic is that takeout is still available at Ringside Steakhouse, something that wasn't available before the pandemic.
0: Right. You can order it up to an hour ahead of time, up until 9 p.m. You just uh, go to the Ringside's website, order a fantastic meal to enjoy at home. It'll be better than whatever you have planned, and pick it up an hour later.
1: And on the website, Chris, we should also point out that's where you can make reservations or make those reservations through the Open Table app.
0: Okay, we're back. This is Right at the Fork, and we're here with Joel Gunderson, currently of Heavenly Creatures in Cooper's Hall, and doing a lot of work with, a, with other Chef's Table properties, entities. What do we call them? Restaurants, I suppose. Yeah, I think we call them yeah, restaurants. Yeah, well, you've got a wine <laughs> bar over there, so I didn't necessarily want to l- lump. Um, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, In yeah, Portland, yeah. Restu- wine bars and bars are restaurants. They have to be. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to coin it. But thanks, Joel, for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, If I didn't really cover it up front, Joel, years ago, when no one knew what a podcast was, right? I don't know if you remember, Joel, when you came in, whether you knew what a podcast was. But yeah, I, yeah, that's I that's barely good. knew, I had just heard of them, and uh, my friend Heather Jones, who called me to audition to be the host of this podcast, and um, we did a little audition down near St. Jack, it was not far, right? It was a few blocks, you could pro- probably could have walked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. um, and that's it, I guess it went well enough where I came back, but somehow you didn't. And so, here, here we are, <laughs> almost 10 years later, and it's good to finally have you here, and a, a lot has transpired since then, but um, I don't remember, we don't have that recording. It was with a completely different company than we, or way that we record the podcast now. I would have liked to have listened to it, and I maybe you would have liked to have heard what your mindset was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a more innocent time, but... We were just talking about your uh, childhood in the Philippines, and um, some of the—I thought that was fascinating—how you immediately were able to think of the resilience of opening one's home when it was sometimes not that easy. um, As a, a point to that, as something that helped you get through this pandemic, but let's talk a little bit about your childhood and and how you got from the Philippines here you're obviously not filipino so (laughs) um are we am i even allowed to say that nowadays am i allowed to even just assume that
3: no yeah yeah filipino yeah i mean i'm not it's true i'm a i'm an i was an expat um yeah you know i came back to the united states to go to college met a girl she was from portland we moved up here together
0: Where'd you go to college? Aaron Barnett. Where'd you go to college?
3: Yeah. I went to a little uh, Christian liberal arts college called Westmont uh, up in Montecito. So I actually went from an environment where we were working with the poorest of the poor to uh, living among the wealthiest of the wealthy. In California, yeah. yeah. In California, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and yeah, in fact, Aaron and I uh, never met. Well, I lived in Santa Barbara, but I had gone back to Santa Barbara for uh, a friend's wedding in two thousand and, or maybe two thousand one, and Aaron and I met, and the rest is history. So we've been we've been pals since then.
0: How did you meet? Um, and talk a little bit about that. How you decided to be <laughs> how how you <laughs> decided to be friendly enough to open a restaurant together.
3: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean. We met at a party at my friend's house, and you know, I was—I was back in the day when you we were just out of college. So when you went and visited a friend, you stayed at their house, and so you stay up all night drinking, and then you wake up the next day together and uh, hang out more. And so, this is um, a guy I
0: want to get drunk with. Oh, that's all right. This is a guy that? I want to get drunk with. Is what? You're,
3: Aaron is a great guy to get. drunk <laughs> with. Yeah, no, no, he's a good drinking buddy. Uh, you know, we just. In fact, I, I often I often describe Restaurant Saint Jack as in two ways. I say uh, I talked Aaron into moving to Portland, and he talked me into becoming a sommelier. Uh, that's one thing. I, I feel like he's a friend who often believed in me more than I believed in himself, which was incredibly valuable to have. Uh, and then. Um, Restaurant St. Jack was, you know, we would often prior to him moving to Portland, we would hang out together and he would tell me how I needed to train to become a sommelier and how we needed to open a restaurant together and we'd drink all night and I would promise him and say, yes, I'm going to do it. We're going to do this. And then I'd wake up the next morning just filled with dread. Like I just promised somebody that I'm going to open a restaurant with him, and I have no idea. How to do any of and that and was his
0: sole purpose um, in in suggesting that's what you do in life was was it a little bit selfish because he wanted you to be the guy or was it this is what you need to do just to to have growth and satisfaction in your life
3: oh and by the way maybe you know, someday know, I mean, you can we,
0: open a restaurant with me
3: <laughs> no, I, I mean i think it was more we we need to do this thing like we want i want to do this like we want to do this thing together this you're super skilled and you know obviously untrained at that time but in in wine and and uh let's do like yeah i mean i i, I don't know if self, I, I think that's how friendships work right you just you build up, you feed off of each other and i think it was more that it was like uh I call it a six-year conversation. All
0: right. Well, so I'm curious yeah. whether you were just really good at opening a wine bottle and and consuming it or whether you actually knew anything <laughs> for him to say that at that point in time cause, because I believe you just mentioned you were still in college or just out of college at that point in time.
3: Yeah. It was in our 20s. But, yeah, I mean, so when that conversation started, it was probably like uh, – I guess 2003 would have been when that conversation started. So uh, seven years before we opened restaurant Mm St. Jack. Um, But yeah, no. So what I, what I always had, even before, you know, jumping into wine professionally, is just like a high recall for wine. So I would say, Oh yeah, no, we, we had that bottle uh, three months ago and it tasted like this. So I, I didn't have any training behind me, but I, Um, I often feel like people in the wine industry are um, kind of fabulous catalogers. You know, like often you'll talk to somebody, you'll find out, oh, they're also into jazz, and they can probably tell you who was playing on, uh, you know, uh, kind of blue. Like they and and they can they can tell you different, you know, what other albums all of the other players were playing on as well. so I find out pretty often in the wine industry is that is that people who are professionals and good at what they're doing they they generally oft, or they often have a cataloging mind and so um, not that I'm uh, an audiophile but um, but I, I have high recall for different things so and I was able to put together that with wine and so I, I would say like to a certain extent that's that's kind of like the sort of goofy thing that allowed me to, or believe that maybe I could I, become a. Sommelier. I think it's a
0: hell of a talent because I can't even think of cataloging that many things. I mean, there's so many different regions and so many different wines. So to, it, it, it's pretty hard to be an expert at that. And when you're good, good enough at that to be doing it at a number of restaurants, man, you have. I think you've you've passed a really high bar.
3: Yeah, I think just some of us just, you know, we just remember things in a different way. And so, like, uh, you know, not to take what we as psalms do for granted, but we're just, a lot of us are just built this way and we can just remember shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's fine. Um, and it works out for us. And so it's like, yeah, no, I can remember, you know, what a 2004, 2000, I can remember where I was when I had a 2010 Costa Rica Bourgogne Blanc. And I can remember the profile of the wine. You know, those are just things I can. That's remember, like a
0: music you know? memory. You can when I, when you hear a right. certain it's, song yeah. from high school, you know exactly where you were, at least where you were smoking pot when you heard that song.
3: Right. I mean, so they talk about right. People talk about that. They talk about scent memory, for instance, like our olfactory memories being incredibly um, important. I, I I remember like when my dad passed away in 2010 sorry not 2010 2007 uh, my family is originally from montana and we drove from portland to montana and we dropped down out of the rockies into the plains right outside of great falls montana and it was in the early summer it was it was in june and it was all of the all of the flora from all of these scents coming off of the off of the planes kind of like hit us all at once. And I just started crying. I mean, you know, my dad, I was going to a memorial service, but on top of that, it was, it was my childhood. You know, it was, it was something that I knew deep inside of me uh, came back to me. It was this, it was the scent of, of the planes that was incredibly important to me. And in that moment, like I knew it and it brought back so many memories. And so I think with wine, it it can be, you know, if you open yourself to it, like that's that's part of it. It's 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 like how we remember. It's a, it's a very strong memory system if if you if you just you know allow yourself to to go there. Um, to,
0: I think it's interesting that the roots of that memory are in Montana, uh, as opposed to Paris or. You know the, or where you were in montecito um but that but certainly that was where you developed a lot of it there, I would imagine in the california the california wine business it it,
3: it, could, it it could be um it could be the sense of being moved like disjunction like say like originally from montana Philippines like you go to these places and it's the smell of these places that Let's you know your home and there's this sort of at homeness that you familiar that you that for me like smell really is a huge part of that you know the dirty kitchen in my home in the Philippines like I I, I know that smell and if I smelled it somewhere I would I would I would take me back to there and so
0: have you uh, smelled it anywhere in yeah. Portland has it come up yet
3: uh, anything like it it yeah, I would say, like, back kitchen areas, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, like, you know, like, uh, freshly clean tile, little moist, little, uh, maybe on a muggy day. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm, I'm yeah. curious, you know, you, you caused me to think of the tiny little kitchen at the original restaurant, St. Jack. And that oh, yeah. must have had some interesting, because it was so so compressed and so small. And I don't know what the ventilation was like, but you must have had a lot, of, a lot of aromas there that aren't appearing at the Northwest version of the restaurant.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me it was, you know, I think whenever I walk into a place and there's, um, you know, bone stock being reduced, that always takes me back to St. Jack. Like I'm there. Like that's that's what I walked into in the morning. Like you open the door at, you know, for us, you know, as managers, you open the door at nine a.m., ten a.m., and the stock is just being pulled from the night before. I left to to go overnight, and so it's like that early morning with bone stock. Uh, that always brings me back to that's that's my St. Jack center. Right does, there. does that
0: does your psalm... Thumb- the psalm side of you kick into gear when you hear that or when you smell that and start thinking about wine? Is that something that happens or has nothing to do with Uh,
3: it? Sure. I mean, I'm always thinking about wine. So, um, and often I'm tasting, you know, you often, we start tasting wine at 11. So, (laughs) so, you know, I think for like heavenly creatures, for instance, um, there's a strong, Aaron just came and shoved something really delicious in here.
0: Hi body. Aaron.
3: Uh, <laughs> I haven't so seen <laughs> I, I haven't
0: seen Aaron in a while. So Tell him I miss him.
3: I, he had to that was his cameo. Right I miss there, him dearly. Just I just
0: well he's be, he's yeah. been with us before but we just got his hand and his spoon. That's good. We're happy to have yeah. any part of Aaron yeah. we
3: can. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean um I I I I do think absolutely. Um, that when I came, when I started thinking about heavenly creatures and concepting it, and then Aaron was like, I want to play too. Can I be the consulting chef for this? Um, it dramatically influenced how I would start, uh, purchasing for this project. Um,
0: what were the odds you were going to say to him? No, you're not the guy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) no i mean we've we've been taught ever since i left saint jack we've been trying to figure out how we can uh do something together and so heavenly creatures has really allowed us to um to uh to be together to push each other um and i you know you know, kind of going back to that that question about you know was was his recommendation for you to become a psalm personally motivated it's like as personally motivated as it is that I just want to hang out with you like that. And here's a, here's a great way that we can do it. And, um, and I think, I think that the spirit of innovation often with friendships, right. Can, can come about through, through something that is less, um, transactional, I guess, and just more like emotional. It's, 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 um, it's the happiness of being together that can really build something good
0: well then it must be it's got to be obviously exciting i mean look you're sitting there who else is uh being interviewed on this podcast to get spoons where they get to taste taste (laughs) something that's going on in the kitchen but that it must be great to be back together and conversely was it a little difficult for you to leave saint jack a few years ago and go off and do your own thing
3: yeah, that was um Yeah, that was a definite that was that was a really hard decision and um I think if I could have Well I I you know I think I think Kurt really did a good job of it's a hard it's a hard question to answer. Yes, it was hard.
0: <laughs> Sometimes that's <laughs> it was way.
3: It was heartbreaking. It was really, it was, it was heartbreaking for both of us. And, you know, I think, um, I, I think, um, that, you know, now that we have this opportunity to to work together again, it's trying to make sure that we can build something, you know, in a way that that will work for both of us so that we can do it longer together. So I think that's you know that's the exciting thing, and that's always the, um, you know, I needed to go and open Cooper's Hall with Kurt. That it was an opportunity that. Um,
0: and we're speaking about Kurt Huffman of Chef's Table. Just Kurt, for those who yeah, for those Kurt who Huffman don't of know, Chef's
3: Table. yeah, yeah, um, and and um, to be able to maintain the friendship after leaving. Uh, You know, I I actually did continue to run the wine program for Restaurant St. Jack uh, for three years after leaving um, as a general manager. Um, But that day in, day out is is the real guts of a thing, you know. And and, um, as a consulting wine person, I do enjoy it, but there is something incredibly different and incredibly more dynamic about being on-premise being you know and actually being part of the hospitality agenda um and you know i think i think so often wine gets divorced from hospitality and wine directors think of their wine as don't think of their wine program within the the idea of hospitality that it is actually an arm of creating a space that is welcome to the guests um and and that can often, I think, lead to that sort of um, friction between the consumer and, and wine, you know, because <laughs> because they're thinking of it as like, oh, this thing that I do that's awesome and cool and very expensive and elite, um, as opposed to being like, no, come in and drink. Um, now, you know, what we do at Heavenly Creatures, I, I, you know, I say all this, and then I realize that I opened a 22-seat restaurant. Uh, where I serve really expensive wine. <laughs> uh, you know, we have $20. Our glass pours are between, you know, 15 and $30. Um, but for me, it's, it's taking these last 13 years of being intensely focused on restaurants, opening restaurant after restaurant, consulting on openings. Omerta, that's another one that I forgot. You know, opening a place like Omerta with a opening list, doing staff trainings every week there. Uh, and then saying, well, how do I, how do I take all of that information? How do I take all of that knowledge and then still focus on the thing that gets me most excited about wine and food, which is celebration, right? It's just like, um, or just that I love it, that we love it. Like, that's why we're here. <laughs> we're trying to do something that we love and we're trying to open our doors and, um, you know, obviously hospitality is something that I also love and cherish and um, and want to be good at. Like, I actually want to be as good at hospitality and uh, find welcoming somebody into a space as I do uh, want to be about, you know, uh, knowing the top producers in Shassan Montrachet or something like well,
0: that. Well, you've worn a few hats. It's not as though you haven't, and, you know, there are a few others that I can think of right off the bat. You know, Mr. Fortgang, who has managed places and also been, you know, the Somme or and, and he's doing different things as well, too. Um, Absolutely. So does this give you, does Heavenly Creatures give you the opportunity to uh, spread out your wings a little bit more and go and work with some wines that you wouldn't have worked with ordinarily at some of the other restaurants uh is that uh, what would you if someone were to say what makes heavenly creatures what it is what would you say What, what would be your elevator speech uh
3: yeah i mean audacity maybe i don't know uh <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, we, I would say what makes heavenly creatures what it is, is that, I, you know, I'd almost go back to the, the original St. Jack and say, um, that we are deeply invested in the, the things that we're working with. Like, I love the wine, I love the food, um, but I guess, as far as, you know, product is concerned. Absolutely. Um, and I think that being, I think there's a, you know, there's two edges to it. One is that I think having done this and having done it as intensely as I have for this many years, uh, allows me to be in the space where like where I get to play with these different wines, um, and, um, have the confidence to, you know, pull the cork on a, a foyard on a Thursday night, and know that we're going to sell every glass of it in the next forty-five minutes.
0: Is that because uh, the clientele knows it, or because you are uh, you're confident that you're going to be able to ex- explain it well enough to make sure it's served?
3: The people in the know will know it. I mean, foyard is you know a big name, but. Um, But no, I think it's mainly about, again, it's like saying like, hey, we want to open something special you've never had before and you don't even know about until right now. And we're going to tell you about it. And that, you know, our whole glass port list consists of bottles like that. Um, We're taking a risk with the price point because I do want to put in front of people these wines that I've been able to enjoy, that I've been able to work with. Um, but most people don't ever get to drink. You know, usually sit on a, a bottle list at a restaurant, you know, for like 120 bucks. And so even pouring it by, you know, even as expensive or pricey as an 18 to $22 glass pour is, um, it's still a lot more approachable than pulling something off of a bottle list for You know, 120 150 Oh, exactly. Um, That
0: doesn't seem, for someone who I don't spend, I'm not a big wine drinker, that doesn't seem, in the United States, that doesn't seem completely, that doesn't seem very expensive to me right now. When I go to Europe, it's a whole different thing, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah. And again, when I go to Europe, I spend a lot more money on wine by the bottle and by the glass than a lot of American consumers would mm-hmm. because I'm still buying the producers that I want to buy and they aren't cheap and they aren't cheap in Europe either. They're cheaper. You know, they'd haven't gone through like a three tier system and been marked up another 60%. Uh, but you know, people in downtown Barcelona still have their bills to pay.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, so, uh, and it's still, you know, when I, when I'm in these places, I'm still spending like 16 euro, on a glass of wine 17 euro on a glass of wine so it actually i guess does translate i guess the wine that i'm <laughs> no that's a good glass of <laughs> I'm, wine. I'm, so i industry and, and we're and we're we're crazy like we're, you know this is we don't think about it but I, I i would argue that the average american consumer spends like eight bucks on like some crappy venti whatever something chino at at a starbucks you know and 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 so that's, I think, where I push back and have a little attitude. I'm like, yeah, and, and I'm going to offer you a glass of wine uh, that is made by a family who's been making this wine for 150 years. And, and that's special. And that's, that's holding up, you know, traditions. That's being able to explore geographies. It's being able to, um, take people to places that none of us can afford to go to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we can't go to, we can't fly to Hungary tomorrow, but we can pull corks on wine from Hungary and, and, and talk about um, the history of a region like Shomlo or, you know, Tokai and, and, and taste it and taste what those people have been doing for hundreds of years. And that's kind of cool. Um, and so I, I think the other thing, you know, when I think about heavenly creatures is, is just this generosity of spirit within the information that we share about what we're pouring. So often when you go to a restaurant to have a Psalm experience, you have to pull those bottles off a shelf. You have to order the big one, right. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or like, you know, if you're going to call the Psalm over, they're going to, they're going to try to get you towards that big one and maybe be disappointed if you don't. Um, but every table, every conversation we have here is that it's, you know, we're excited about everything that we're pouring. We curated the whole list here. You know, my, my co-buyer, Mark Gutelli, who was recently the sum over at rest at lock St. Jack. Um, you know, so it doesn't matter if you order the $14 glass or if you order the $22 glass, like we're excited about these things. And and we want to tell you about it. If you want to, are you
0: there? Um, are you holding down the fort a lot of the time i would imagine that some of your other ventures over time you're able to find a little work life balance that you may not have had you know have, and you know have you gone to hawaii with your family
3: <laughs> did you ever get to do that yeah. trip yeah i mean i knew uh, i crammed a bunch in prior to the opening of heavenly creatures cuz i know what a heavenly or i know what a, an opening takes And I knew what I wanted to do with heavenly creatures and I knew that it would take me here a lot. And, um, I, you know, I I think that I'm hoping in, well, I'm hoping by March I'll be able to take a, a little break, but right now I'm here every night. Uh, we're going to six days a week, either next week or the following week, depending on if we can get our staffing together. Uh, you know, that's another crisis, but, um, But, but you know, I I think for me, it's incredibly important to build culture inside a space and and really put the – and you can't do that. You can't throw that in. You know, again, like from being a consultant for so long, like, and having both experiences side by side, you know, even doing staff training once a week at Omerta, like it did not – Create the wine culture that an on premise person who's there all the time will create. Um, and then it's engaging with the food and engaging with the people that are cooking the food and talking about, you know, the techniques, watching the food being cooked, uh, running those plates to the table. All of that is so important to think, to me, to thinking about the wine. Like it's, it's not a, and that is why we have such, you know, you mentioned like you can't have a wine bar and Portland without a good food program, but there actually are a lot of wine program bars in Portland that don't have basically any food program. And and I think that is one way that we're distinguishing ourselves, too, is being heavily invested in our food
0: Heavenly program. invested. So talk a little bit about the name Heavenly Creatures, and I'm amused by the juxtaposition of Heavenly Creatures at the same time when you're talking about Omerta. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little there's a little bit on different sides of the coin there but just you know heavenly creatures is your baby and what uh what caused you to come up with that name
3: uh well i my wife uh jenna actually named it uh and obviously we saw the peter jackson film back in the day uh you know very dark uh film that has a lot of uh, <laughs> intense darkness in it, but I haven't seen um, it, so
0: i that's that's news to me I would have to
3: yeah, yeah, um I think it's kate Winslet's first first film um but yeah, um so that you know somewhere bouncing around in the back of our heads was that sort of um that uh that sort of like juxtaposition of of heavenly creatures is Such a sort of like lovely name, and then the darkness that exists within that film. Um, We just like that junk, this junction. Um, I often say, you know, not all heavenly creatures are angels. Uh, And, uh, you know.
0: Well, also, uh, did you, I probably, I don't know if I want to ask this or you want me to ask this, but can you just use that name without going to uh, the the producers and finding out whether you can, is that, is that something that would be in the public domain?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's lots of like, um, like pet care things that are called. <laughs> 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 yeah, I guess so. I, uh, who knows? I'm just <laughs> curious. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you can, you know, uh, it, you know, Peter Jackson might give us a ring and, and, uh, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, that's
3: create a cease and desist. But I think since it doesn't, um, actually inter- like if we were trying to name like a movie or something related to a film, heavenly creatures. Well, then,
0: I also think if you had have, movie posters up, that would be a problem. So I think yeah, if you're yeah, not yeah, directly yeah. referencing it, but, um,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So it's just like, again, it was there like in the back of our psyche, but like all of our bottles are, are heavenly Exactly, It's like, they, it's like a, you know, it's a thing. And, and, uh, Um, we get it i think it's a nice name i think it's
0: a very positive nice name at a time when we need that you know we need some positive nice things right now and and um the imagery of you know to go somewhere
3: yeah i mean you've been into the space since you've been into the churro space so you know it's it's a tiny space It's um it was one of those things that like all year we were like it's going to be so cool we're opening a 22-seat restaurant wine bar and then two weeks beforehand i started like losing sleep because i was like oh my god we're opening a 22 like people are gonna hate us it's so tiny we're like on the other side of a pandemic and we're ordering (laughs) we are opening a space that like is pretty tightly packed it's reminiscent of these like wine bars that we went to in barcelona and paris and like that we loved and you know our, our new york city like it's 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 a it's a Packed in confined space, and um, and so it, it did feel audacious. <laughs> and again, you know, like right on the front of a of a of an economic downturn, and we're opening a place that is selling twenty dollar glass pours, and so. But I think that's what we need in Portland. I think that that is what has made Portland great in the past, and like we can't forsake that innovative spirit. Like that is the optimism that I hold on to. Is that we as small producers and makers can make the difference we've made the difference before we've known that we've done it and we can do it again it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to suck and it's going to be hard but like, you know it's worth it
0: do you feel like uh, how do you feel about the Portland food world now uh, in 2023 versus 2018 for for instance or we can go back 2010 you know when you opened Restaurant St. Jack right. um, that was a very interesting hopeful um just i thought it was an awesome period where a lot of people were doing fantastic things and breaking out from their mentors and and finding their way um i guess that's happening now but a lot of those mentors are gone
3: yeah i mean i kind of feel like it is closer to 2010 than 2018 i think there is a lot of opportunity for younger uh makers to get out there and take risks. Um, you know, obviously a lot of real estate has opened up (laughs) and uh and it is a landscape where people who are willing to take that risk can go out and and do something, you know, special. Um you know, street disco down on Foster open almost like within a week of us, maybe a week before us, and they're a wine bar that like us has like a a more extensive food program and um they're in the old foster burger space and so you know they're slinging natural wine and throwing good food out and that's awesome and and we both did it at the same time and there seems to be enough interest in both spaces for both of our spaces to be full you know every night um so i think it shows shows us that if we are daring enough to open doors and do things that we can can still make a difference in the city and and that that there's still an appetite. Like, people want to go out. People want to have a good time. Like, people, I think, you know, going back to that security issue, people just want to know that the money that they're spending is is worth it. And so... um, I know that what I I, I believe that what I'm doing in my spaces is 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 worth the money that people are spending. I know that I know that we're working hard towards trying to create those. Well,
0: for anybody who's still with us, who's been with us for this hour, I can just tell you that um, you and I haven't spoken a lot in the last many years, but you could just hear your heart. And you can hear the the authentic, authenticity that comes through in everything that you do, and I I feel like that has become a word that people overuse and apply to themselves a lot. And I'm going to apply it to you, so it's a little more genuine when I'm applying it than when someone is deciding I'm authentic. Um, but I think uh, you know you put a lot of heart into it. You've got a lot of experience. And you know what you're doing and having Aaron there with you is like killer because the two of you have proven that you can do some incredible things. And, uh, yeah, I think it's and the timing is right. Right. People maybe a year ago it would have been a rough go because getting yeah. getting that many people in a, in a 22 seat space would have been tough. But uh, is anybody is anybody worried about masking and that sort of thing now?
3: I mean we have people that come in with masks on and then they take them off when they're at their table and then put them back on when they which leave. is just the and oddest
0: thing ever. Put it on it put is, it on like when you're like at the table ta- and then go outside and put it I mean and put it on outside which makes no sense. But
3: well like it's literally like 10 steps to the right. door from anywhere in this building so it's like it's again but uh, you know I uh everybody has their own thing that they need to do to get through these days. So um, I'm just happy that, you know, somebody who wears a mask inside a space is going to come in and, and be with us and, and decide to have a good time. So um, that makes, you know, I that, think that's, that makes that's me the bottom
0: line for you. So um, it, I'm, I congratulate you for opening it. And um, I hope you know, I know one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I don't want to keep you much longer, was, um, you know, Portland as a city and how it's faring right now for residents and even for the people downtown. Do you have optimism about that? Do you feel like we're we're turning the corner?
3: I, I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I know that, again, um, we as, you know, we as makers in Portland, people who are running small businesses, um, are obviously for me, like with my event business, I'm incredibly worried about that. That's Portland's reputation is, um, means that, you know, things won't get booked at the, at the, uh, convention center, which means that I might lose a hundred thousand dollars in revenue just from that alone, you know, um, people thinking that where Coopers hall is located in the central East side is an unsafe part of town to be in now. Um, that's terrifying. You know, that might mean somebody doesn't want to have their wedding there because they don't want to scare their family. And, um, but I can't, I have to choose optimism. I have to choose, I guess, resilience and hopefulness. Like, Maybe not optimism, but, like, I have to choose to stay engaged with the city. Uh, and, you know, I don't really have a choice. I'm locked in. <laughs> and so um, I can't – I could throw in the towel, I guess, and pick up somewhere else. But that just seems – that doesn't seem me. that would be right. No, and, you're
0: a, part, and so, you're a part of Portland, man. You can't – see, that's what's yeah. so disheartening for me is that a lot of – The folks like Vitaly, who were like embodied Portland, Oregon, aren't here anymore. So we need you to stay. We need you and Aaron to be successful. And, um, I, I'm sure that'll happen. And, um listen I, I appreciate what you're doing it's great so and I appreciate you coming by okay. I don't want to keep you any longer I yeah, love my friend love
3: this conversation
0: yeah no i I hope I, I found it to be a, a great conversation and I'd love to have you back sooner than 10 years that would probably be, my, yes, be that would be a nice goal yeah. uh, and it's not as that I, as I said earlier we discussed it I don't know why it never happened but um, oh I know why because at one point there wasn't a lot of positive to say that when we were, when I I remember I contacted you when you were having a little bit of a challenge going on and that was not the time you wanted to talk. You wanted to wait till this to be more positive and I'm glad we did.
3: Absolutely.
0: All right. Yeah. All right, Joel, I'll see you soon. Thank you very much.
2: Appreciate it.
3: Take
2: care. Say hi to Aaron. I will do. Bye. bye Bye.